Welcome to Spotlight. I'm Connor Hussey, reporter for Private Fund CFO. On June 28th, the Securities and Exchange Commission published a concept release on the harmonization of securities offering exemptions. It did so to solicit public comment on exemptions from registration under the Securities Act. This release comes as the most significant attempt by SEC Chairman Jay Clayton to reach his stated goal of broadening Main Street access to investments for retail investors. The SEC is accepting comments on this release until September 24th, 2019. We spoke with experts from law firm Ropes and Gray to discuss some of the comments they'll be submitting, what effects this sort of provision could have on private fund managers and retail investors, as well as what it could mean for pension and 401k plans. Keith Higgins, chair of Ropes and Gray's securities and governance practice based in Boston, said the principal focus of the release was to look at the various ways in which companies and funds can raise capital, and to think about ways friction can be reduced in that system. In addition to the private offerings piece, they added about a 20-page piece on using collective investment vehicles as a way to get retail exposure to alternative investments like private equity. And that's why we're here talking about it today. Mike Doherty, Ropes and Gray Asset Management Partner in New York, says that although there is nothing directly actionable coming out of this right away, it could lead to new rules or law changes. It's a concept release. It's posing a number of questions and inviting comments. It could potentially, however, lead to rules or law changes that could open up new sources of capital for private equity firms and also potentially lead private equity managers to think about new ways of distributing their products. And just as important, I think, at least from Chairman Clayton at the SEC's uh, viewpoint, it's a way to allow retail investors to get exposure indirectly through a fund to high growth investments that currently now private investors generally have the opportunity to get into. And the chairman, since uh, he came to the commission uh, three years ago, has been talking about the dearth of IPOs and the fact that retail investors can't invest in IPOs, the high growth base of a company's growth pattern. And this is a way to attack that issue in a different way by allowing retail investors to get exposure through a collective investment vehicle. Josh Lichtenstein, ERISA partner for Ropes and Gray in New York, notes that the concept release comes at a time when the Department of Labor is thinking about issues related to fiduciary duties for retirement plans and more generally about the ways to increase opportunities for retirement investors. And so the Department of Labor has indicated that it desires to coordinate with the SEC on certain other regulatory projects, such as regulation best interest. And so this concept release may also be a signal that as the Department of Labor thinks through some of these issues related to whether 401k plans specifically could have access to these types of products, that they may be moving in parallel with the SEC. Currently, there are some options that allow for retail investors to participate in alternative assets, but the playing field isn't totally level for retail investors. If you're an investor in a public pension or a participant in a public pension plan right now, a teacher in California, for example, you have exposure indirectly through that pension plan. It's a defined benefit plan, and that plan can invest in private equity and other alternative investments. But since the world of retirement has seemed to move to 401k plans, to self-directed contribute, defined contribution plans, it's now not as e- equally available to other investors that actually are the, the, the bulk of the investment money is now defined contribution. So this would really level the playing field on that. 
SEC Chairman Jay Clayton has expressed a desire to open further investment opportunities to retail investors and has recently emphasized expanding investor education efforts. But does it make sense for the private equity community? Keith Higgins offers more insight into this dynamic. Hard to speak for the chair, but I think since he's come into the position, he's really focused a lot on making appropriate investment opportunities available to retail investors to to make sure that retail investors have a crack at portfolios that are you know just as perfect as a professional investor uh, might have access to so i think this is entirely consistent with what his theme has been as to what the private equity industry whether they've been pushing for it i i don't know whether it's been high on the agenda, but I do think that large pools of capital that retirement plans represent have to be a somewhat attractive uh, target for private equity funds, wouldn't you think? I do. I, I think it's hard to speak for an industry generally, but certainly a number of the larger players have been pushing retail access to private equity for a number of years. They're the ones that are also most likely to be able to take advantage of it. From their perspective, not only does it represent an additional pool of capital, to go back to some of the points that were being made before, it also is a replacement for some of the pools of capital that have gone away because large corporate pension plans that used to be defined benefit plans are shrinking or going away. So they're not making private equity investments to the same extent that they used to. So this would replace, to a certain extent, that capital. Yeah, and I would also add that when there is you know, not just necessarily demand coming from the side of the industry, but there's also evidence of some demand coming from the investor base because there has been movements in recent years where plan sponsors of 401k plans have actually tried to integrate more alternative assets such as private equity funds or real estate funds into their 401k plans. It's challenging under the current regime, but there is some limited flexibility to do so. But one of the main bars appears to be the 401k market is highly litigious right now. And um, in fact, you know, some of the companies that even have tried to create these types of opportunities for their investors have been the subject of lawsuits. And so you know, if there was additional guidance coming from the SEC, making it easier to structure this type of opportunity, and there was also sort of conforming guidance from the Department of Labor, making it easier for plan sponsors as fiduciaries to offer these types of you know, newly available options, then I think that that would satisfy you know, not just the desires of the sort of the providers, the, the fund managers, but also the desire of some of the plan sponsors that would like to see their employees have access to this. Although there's just two months until the deadline for comments ends, Ropes and Gray plans to submit a few comments in hopes of making implementation of these guidelines easier. As lawyers, I imagine what we'll be doing is looking at possible structures that could actually implement some of the goals that we've been talking about, and then what the legal impediments are to those structures and how possibly to solve those legal impediments. Yeah, a lot of it will be relating to really technical rules within the SEC's whole compendium of rules about how closed-end funds, for example, could invest in private equity funds and be made available on a retail basis, on a registered basis, where they could trade on an exchange and provide the liquidity that that retirement plans would be looking for. The panelists discuss some of the realistic implications that lawyers and fund managers can expect moving forward. There are really three. 
I think, and let's call them three main types, and then there are probably a number of permutations under every one. The first would be some type of direct access into private equity funds, probably by changing the qualification standards. I'm not sure that that's one that is really being pushed because there are a whole host of operational and other issues associated with that. The other two really build upon structures that are already in place, but they would have to be expanded and there would need to be some rule changes, basically, to be able to implement them. Uh, one of them is the one that Keith had just mentioned, which is a, a closed-end fund investing in private funds. Right now, those exist. A registered closed-end fund can invest in private funds, but there's a SEC staff position that says those funds can only make themselves available to accredited investors. And by limiting them that way, that basically limits the investment pool, investing pool, but it also uh, prevents them from listing. So potentially expanding that structure. And then it's also possible that there could be feeder structures in place. Right now, many financial institutions do set up feeders for their clients to invest in private funds. There could be rule changes that potentially allow those feeders to be offered to an expanded pool of people, uh, including through their retirement plans. Those are the those are the principal uh, methods. I think one of the questions that will be raised is, gosh, isn't private equity a risky kind of investment? And are we really opening up a huge area of risk to retail investors who might not fully understand uh, the risk? And, and I think everybody, lawyers and people in the industry, understand those concerns but think that you know, with appropriate structuring around registered investment advisors and other, uh, other people who can act in an investor's best interest, helping, participating in uh, the structuring of these vehicles and, and the choice of the funds that uh, become available, and not to mention the fact that you can de-risk it by having a portfolio of various private equity funds. I mean, it, it is a little bit incongruous, I think, that right now you can invest as a retail investor in the riskiest IPO in the world. If it goes public, if you can get the shares, you can take your entire, you know, your entire life savings and dump it into there, and nothing prevents you from doing that. And I think that's the riskiest of, of in investments, and no prudent investor would do that. If you've got people who are obliged to act in the best interest of the investors to help them out. I, I think that solves at least partially the uh, concerns about investor protection. That's a great point, Keith. And um, one thing that I think is instructive to think about there is that from the retirement perspective, we already have a large community of fiduciaries who are following exactly those types of standards that you mentioned, making determinations about appropriate investments for retirement assets being invested over a long term. And almost across the board, you see those types of fiduciaries, the people that are directing the traditional defined benefit pension plans, choosing you know, some level of allocation to alts, including private equity. Implementation of these guidelines could transform the playing field for retail investors, especially for retirement plans where changes would probably hit first. It's always hard to predict, but to go back to Keith's point, I would think that Retail investors who are advised by a you know, competent professional would not be taking all of the person's retirement plan savings or bank account and putting it into private equity, but instead would be making a prudent allocation of a portion of that asset class, which over time could hopefully build and increase their nest egg. But I don't think one would really view that as a wholesale or even a, a majority sale 
uh, replacement of what they're currently investing in mutual funds or stocks and bonds, et cetera. Josh, you may have some thoughts as to how it might change retirement plan investing. Yeah, thanks, Mike. You know, I, I could see this having a real impact for retirement plan investing just because one of the challenges that people face in the current environment and, you know, in the current, you know, sometimes it's described as looming, but really it's a current retirement crisis is that the amount of money that you're able to defer into a 401k plan is not a huge amount of money on a year-by-year basis. And then you're sort of tasked with growing that into a large enough amount of money to be able to retire. And so having access to an appropriate level of potentially higher growth potential investments, especially earlier in your saving life, could be a, a real material benefit. I think, Josh, the important point is that retirement savings, I think, are really a a key for the retail investor here. That is attractive to the private equity industry because that's long-term money. That's money that people are going to be putting in in their plan and hopefully keeping it and growing it for a long time. It's also the benefit of time. If you can get 100, 200 basis point better return on that, it's going to have a meaningful impact on the money you have at retirement. So so I I think that's why the confluence of events for the retirement savings, I think, is going to be important. I don't think this is going to be selling retail on the street at the corner brokers. I think it's really going to, I I think it's going to be most attractive in the retirement context, which is why, Josh, it's so important to get the ERISA uh, things worked out. Yeah, and I mean, just just to follow up on that, I think that you could expect to see, as a result of these types of changes, if we also see, you know, some movement from the Department of Labor to to make this to facilitate these types of investments out of four hundred and one k plans, that we might see more alignment of the typical four hundred and one k investment lineup and the typical composition of a four hundred and one k investor's account versus the way that you're seeing pension plans, whether private pension plans or public pension plans, allocated right now. Another option that is already in place, but perhaps could be expanded through some way, would be target date funds. So many, many investors invest in target date funds through their 401k plans. Those can make relatively small allocations to private equity, but it's possible that what could come out of this release is some flexibility to make larger allocations or otherwise uh, invest more in the asset class. This complicates the equation, especially for private fund managers whose investor relations functions could be altered by having new direct investors in their funds. So it may not have many day-to-day changes. So to go back to an earlier point, I'm not sure that a private equity fund manager would really want a lot of direct investors going directly into their fund because that would require them to have very extensive reporting and record keeping and client management functions that I don't think many of them are set up for right now. So what would likely happen is that there would be some type of intermediary serving as a record keeper or an administrator or a fund-to-fund sponsor or a feeder fund sponsor or something along those lines that would bear the brunt of those operational aspects of it. And there is already an industry that is set up to do that. So presumably that could expand to work on private equity as well, because there are going to be some differences in accounting and taxes and things of that nature. But I think the basics of dealing with tens of thousands of smaller investors is something that's already done now. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right, Mike. And I think that you know one of the benefits to viewing the 401k plan as sort of the access point for retail investors into private funds 
is that from the private equity fund sponsor standpoint, it looks like one institutional investor, much more like what they're used to dealing with. And then from the sort of marketing standpoint, instead of needing to, you know, try to you know, see, you know, actively market to a large number of retail investors. If your option is just part of one of the investment alternatives on the 401k investment menu, then, you know, sort of distribution is already handled inherently. This proposal could point to imminent changes across the private equity industry, but also shows the priorities of the commission. It's very forward thinking of the commission to put something out, to, to put it out for comment, to allow people like law firms, like private equity firms, like investor groups to provide some ideas on how to make this happen. It's absolutely clear that in the past, retail investors through pension plans have been able to get exposure to alternative investments and finding a way to help that in a new environment, in a sort of 21st century retirement milieu, I think is terribly important for us as a society on the retirement crisis, as Josh, uh, you know, points out, but in also making investment opportunities fairly available to, to as many as possible. Yeah, and I think the fairness, it's an important point because obviously a, a common topic that you hear people talking right. about now is you know, the rise in wealth inequality in America. And I certainly won't comment on what might be the primary cause of that. <laughs> but, um, you know, certainly you know, there is a disparity between if you have money, you have access to right. more investment options than if you have less money. Absolutely. As the panelists debate what exactly they'll submit to the SEC before the September 24th deadline, they offer a few final takeaways for private fund managers and executives. The comment period ends in the middle of September. I think it's worth interested parties taking a look at the release. It's very long, but there is the section that's most relevant is tucked away in the back, and it's about 20 pages. There are a number of questions, and I'd encourage people to look and see if there are any questions that resonate with them and that they'd like to comment on and to send in a comment letter. Right. Actually, that's one thing I think I, I would say, that for if I were a private equity manager listening to this podcast thinking, gee, what should I do after listening to it? I'd grab a copy of the release, which is available on the SEC's website. It's Harmonization of Private Offerings. I easily find it. Go to the back of the release where they cover collective investment funds and read through it. It won't take very long. And think about ways in which having access to another pool of capital, such as the ones that are being discussed in that release, might be advantageous to your fund and to your, uh, for your opportunities available. And think of ways in which you might be able to comment and help the SEC figure out how to make this opportunity available, both for the industry and for investors. Yeah, so I think that I would do exactly what Keith just said, but then I would also maybe even go one step further. And I would say, in addition to what would I like to see happen and you know, think about what a comment might look like, I would also think to myself, well, if this does happen, what steps would I need to take as an institution to take advantage of that? Because there can be real first mover advantages in this space, especially when you think about the retirement investors, because just the way that 401k investors tend to operate, they tend to make investment elections and then not change them very frequently. And so there could be a very big difference between being part of the first retail private funds offering alternative on a bunch of 401k platforms and being the third or the fourth one in terms of ability to actually take advantage of the market. And that's a great point. Put differently, if I'm a private equity sponsor, I don't necessarily have the distribution or the relationships to take advantage of rules that may come out. So I may want to start thinking about, are there 
companies, broker-dealers, mutual fund companies, et cetera, that I could partner with to be able to take advantage of that distribution. And I know they're not your audience, but if I'm a mutual fund company or some other company with distribution, I may want to be thinking about partnering with someone with private equity expertise so that we could, in fact, offer a product that would be available, uh, that would be attractive. That, again, was Ropes & Gray partners Keith Higgins, Mike Doherty, and Josh Lichtenstein. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight Podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and across PEI Media's various titles online. For Private Fund CFO, I'm Connor Hussey. Thanks for listening.